Welcome to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard Roper, podcasting to you from the AmericanEagle.com studios. Lots going on in the world of pop culture. We're going to talk about some interesting stories from the worlds of uh, Zoom and sports and other areas. Also, I've got some reviews for you, including a review and my take on a movie that is polarizing uh, advanced audiences and critics, some saying it's a masterpiece, others saying it's the worst movie they've ever seen. We're going to get into that and so much more. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. All right. I want to talk about uh, a Zoom that uh, recently went viral. You may have seen a snippet of this or read about it. If not, uh, here's a story. Andy Owen is the CEO of office furniture company Miller Knoll. That's like Miller Knoll, K-N-O-L-L, Miller Knoll. Uh, there was a recent video town hall. She was asked about how workers should stay motivated if they don't get a bonus. Uh, let's take a listen to this uh, Zoom answer from the CEO that went viral. Questions came through about how can we stay motivated if we're not going to get a bonus? What can we do? What can we do? Some of them were nice and some of them were not so nice. So I'm going to address this head on. The most important thing we can do right now is focus on the things that we can control. None of us could have predicted COVID. None of us could have predicted supply chain. None of us could have predicted bank failures. But what we can do is stay in front of our customers, provide the best customer service we can, get our orders out our door, treat each other well, be kind, be respectful, focus on the future because it will be bright. It's not good to be in a situation we're in today, but we're not gonna be here forever. It is going to get better. So lead, lead by example, treat people well, talk to them, be kind and get after it. Don't ask about what are we gonna do if you don't get a bonus? Get the damn $26 million. Spend your time and your effort thinking about the $26 million we need and not thinking about what you're going to do if we don't get a bonus. All right? Can I get some commitment for that? I would appreciate that. I had an old boss who said to me one time, you can visit Pity City, but you can't live there. So people, leave Pity City. Let's get it done. Thank you. Have a great day. Oh, boy. I mean, you want to talk about out of touch and whoops and can I have that moment back? Can I get a mulligan? Uh, as has been reported, Andy Owen, the CEO of the office furniture company, Miller Knoll, had a big ass bonus that she got. And yet she went on and told her employees and basically people in, in general, uh, don't go to Pity City. And, uh, you know, stop whining and get out there and make uh, good on our losses, whatever the case may be. And I'm just like, you know, listen, we all have our moments, but to me, to the attitude. And if you watch the video, I mean, she's the, the self-pleased tone. Also the fact that through much of that video, she sounds like she's a, a third grade or second grade teacher talking to children, very condescending, this kind of, uh, sanctimonious tone it's just it's just horrible and listen i'm sure she's a wonderful person 
and has done many great things in the world and just had a bad day. And um, as we're recording this podcast, I haven't seen any reaction yet, but I can guarantee you this when you are listening to this, whether it's in a couple of days or down the road, there's going to be some big apology issued. And Andy Owen's going to say that this is not representative of who she is. And the company's going to say this isn't not what we're all about. I don't know necessarily that she's going to give back her giant bonus of several million dollars, but it'd be nice if she did some sort of, listen, it's a huge company. Even if she gave back her entire bonus, it's not like everybody would get a, a huge amount. But there has to be something more than just a symbolic apology or mea culpa. But it's a reminder to everybody as we're still in the midst of, I don't want to say a pandemic, but we're, we're going to have COVID in our lives forever. And I think some people are going to be working from home forever. A lot of companies now have gone to the kind of the split schedule where you go into the office for two days a week and you work from home three days a week. Others have returned to work altogether. But there's no doubt about it that the business world has changed in the last three years and that some people are never going to go back to the office for for various reasons. And And I think also... Some companies found that they could get a lot more work done or just the same amount of work done without having people come into the brick and mortar office. I think other employees, they benefit greatly from the human interaction, also from the motivation of knowing that you're kind of being watched. You know, everybody can see what you're doing. And I personally feel that it's, you know, I, I have kind of a job that, that I have kind of a job. I have kind of, kinds of jobs. I have the types of jobs that, uh, a lot of it is actually kind of in isolation, whether I'm writing, uh, doing this podcast uh, for you guys, um, going to screenings, or a lot of times I'm watching stuff at home. Uh, I really, really enjoy, for example, uh, Chicago audiences might know I'm on the ABC affiliate here on a show called Windy City Weekend every week. And I love going in and seeing all the great people over at ABC7 interacting with people, it, you know, it, it kind of gives you some juice. I love doing the podcast. I sometimes do it from home today. I'm at the American Eagle.com studios, which is really cool because I get to see everybody in person and not just on zoom. I think that stuff is really valuable, but I continue to do a lot of stuff on zoom, whether it's uh, interviews with filmmakers or meetings about various things. And even sometimes just talking with my friends, it's sometimes better than FaceTime in terms of just being able to see somebody who's in another time zone it's really cool. In fact, I got a Zoom call uh, scheduled later today with a very good friend of mine who's in Los Angeles, and it's going to be great to see your face. But I think one of the things we have to keep in mind, folks, and we've seen so many examples of people uh, inadvertently getting caught on tape saying things or leaving a, a camera on, when you're in front of your computer and when you're on Zoom or any other video chat type of uh, platform, just assume that everybody can see you, even if you think your camera's off, because sometimes it's not. And certainly assume that everybody can hear you and think very carefully about what you're going to say. Now, in this case, she was not caught. Andy Owen was not caught, you know, speaking what she thought was off the record during a break or some sort of internal meeting. It still would have been horrible stuff to say. She knew she was addressing a larger audience. But I think the bigger you know, lesson to be learned from here is to always assume, you know, that the mic is hot, as we say in the business. Now, I did traditional radio for years, for you know, more than 20 years on 50,000 watt AM stations, on FM stations, all different types of uh, categories, talk radio, lifestyle radio, music, everything you can think of. And from the start, I was taught by radio veterans, even during commercial breaks, 
when you're talking to the producer or you're talking to a guest and everybody thinks their mics are off, just assume they might not be because it's very easy for someone to accidentally trip a microphone and turn it on. Same thing in television. You wear your lavalier microphone and there's an on-off switch on the little battery pack yourself and you can have people turn off mics. But I always just comported myself as if that microphone was on. Somebody in the control room could hear you. And we've seen so many examples, whether it's from movie sets, TV news programs, radio shows, where someone thinks they're not being recorded and they are, and it becomes very incriminating and damning. Uh, so whether you're someone like Andy Owen, a powerful CEO who knows exactly what she's saying, or you're just talking to a few coworkers, just always think about the fact it's the same thing as when you tweet something. Think about the repercussions and the ramifications and uh, where it's going to land. And I think it, it'll keep you out of a lot of trouble. So we wish everybody at Miller know all the best. Now, here's an interesting development in the world of home video. Netflix, you may have heard of Netflix. They're kind of uh, ubiquitous out there. Uh, Ted Sarandos, who's the big uh, muckety-muck top guy, king of the hill, Big Cheese at uh, Netflix uh, released a statement saying that Netflix is winding down their service known as DVD.com. Here's the memo from Ted. After an incredible 25-year run, we've decided to wind down DVD.com later this year. Our goal has always been to provide the best service for our members, but as this business continues to shrink, that's going to become increasingly difficult. So we're going to go out on a high and we'll be shipping our final discs on September 29th 2023. Uh, for those of you who have not been on DVD.com or never used it, what uh, Mr. Sarandos is talking about is those red envelopes. When Netflix started 25 years ago, uh, it was right after this, the actual kind of the advent actually of DVDs. So the deal was you'd order uh, something at DVD.com and then they would send you the movie. And you'd get it in this cool envelope and then you'd have a couple of days to watch it and then you'd send it back. That was a big deal for many, many years. But obviously now the DVD is kind of gone the way of VHS and uh, Betamax and all those other delivery systems. Uh, I still have a DVD player. Do you guys have a DVD player? Some of you probably still do. Uh, I, I'm never getting rid of my DVD player. I finally got rid of my dual deck VHS. I had that for a long time. Tape to tape. You could record from one tape to the, to the other. I hung on to that for a long time, but finally got rid of that. But the DVD player, every once in a while, studios still send physical copies, especially during awards season of movies and, and TV series. And I, sometimes the 4K, the, the picture is amazing. And they do that because it's very really hard to pirate it if it's just a, on a physical disc, unless someone physically steals the disc, as opposed to online. When they send me links to series and movies, which is increasingly common and probably the way I see half of the stuff I review for you guys. Um, there's, you know, there's a watermark on it with my name and email. There's coding. There's usually a two factor, uh, verification thing where in other words, I log in with my specialized password, which I have changed quite frequently. And then I go to Google authenticator or another one of those things. And it gives me another six digit code to plug in. You know, all of this is done because there's a bunch of jerks out there trying to steal this shit. Uh, so anyway, DVD.com is saying goodbye. Uh, the The first DVDs actually came out just before DVD.com in uh, 1997. Can you believe that? It really isn't that long ago. Twister was the first big movie to come out on DVD, along with movies like A Time to Kill and Blade Runner, Goodfellas, Interview with the Vampire. It was a really big deal. Before that, of course, 
Blockbuster was the uh, the dominating uh, form of home viewing. People would get a VHS. The first, if you can look this up online, but if you look up like the first VHS uh, or VTR uh, home players, they were like $2,000 and they were the size of a, re- of a refrigerator, like a stove. They were huge. And you'd pop the tape in there and you could also record. And you know, almost nobody could afford that. But I actually remember sometimes we would rent a VHS player. You could rent it for the weekend for like 50 bucks or something. And then you could go to Blockbuster and, and put in a bunch of tapes. And then DVD then came out again in the 90s and was such an improvement in terms of quality and obviously uh, portability, you know, just it was like the size of a CD, the DVD. It was really, really cool to get uh, to go to the stores and, and rent uh, DVDs or to go to DVD.com. But that is the end of an era. I think Netflix is going to be OK, because unlike a lot of other companies, they saw the future and pivoted very nicely into the world of streaming. One last thing I want to get to before we get into the reviews for this week. Uh, We like to talk about sports once in a while. I think some of you know, a lot of you know, I hope that I'm in Chicago here and actually spent a lot of time uh, writing and covering sports, writing about and covering sports back in the 90s when DVD.com was uh, just a a huge brand new thing and was lucky enough to cover the 1990s Bulls, among other things, and see hundreds of games in person. And I'm always going to be biased being a Chicagoan and being old school, saying Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. Interesting, a recent poll of current NBA players. Now, these, these are the current players, and they gave them anonymity. Uh, the Athletic surveyed 103 NBA players, and they've got Michael Jordan as still the greatest of all time. Uh, Michael got 58.3% of the vote. LeBron James was second with 33% of the vote, and Kobe Bryant came in at about 7%, 6.8%. I think. At this point, it really always does come down to Michael versus LeBron, different styles of play. They're both incredible champions. Uh, my feeling is Michael Jordan is is the GOAT, but I certainly understand the argument for LeBron. I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually should be number three, not Kobe Bryant, but Kobe was was a legend as well. But it's interesting that, that today's players, you know, most of them, many of them not even born uh, when Michael Jordan was in his prime, uh, still respect the goats, Michael Jordan coming in first there. All right. Why don't we take a break, talk about Portillo's, and then we're going to review some new releases, including one of the most polarizing films in recent memory. All right, let's talk about Portillo's. Now, they, of course, are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients, right down to that poppy seed bun. And then, of course, there's the legendary chocolate cake. If you're hearing this right now, that means you are alive and near a computer. That's all you got to be. That's all you need to go to Portillo's.com and check out their entire selection of stuff you can get anywhere in these United States of America. Now, if you're blessed enough to live near a Portillo's, then you don't have to worry about getting online. Just go to the store, get the hot dogs, get the Italian beef, the salads, the chicken. They got it great. And then, of course, the chocolate cake, the single greatest item of all chocolate cake items in the history of humanity. You think I'm overstating that? I am not. Go and find out yourself. Go to the store, order online. Unbelievable, the chocolate cake. And they even have a cake shake. They take the cake, they smoosh it into a can with some super cool ingredients. I don't know, they do a bunch of stuff. There's ice cream, and all of a sudden you got a chocolate cake shake. When it comes out of the blender, it's the best. It is a unique 
dining experience every time. Go to Portillo's.com, find a location near you. You can order online. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S, Portillo's.com. Very pretty. Is that the type of girl you're attracted to? I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. I wanted a child. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Do you ever wish that she was dead? What? Bo? Are you on your way? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? I sincerely doubt that. I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Okay, that is a clip from Ari Esther's Bo is Afraid. This is a movie that is polarizing uh, critics and uh, early uh, audiences as well. So Ari Aster uh, made a big splash with his uh, first two films, Hereditary and Midsummer, two of the greatest, most original horror films in recent memory. This is his third effort, and people are going nuts. Bo is afraid. It's a, let's see, how do I describe this to you guys? First of all, it's three hours long. People are talking about that. And Joaquin Phoenix is the title character of Bo. There are a lot of flashbacks, but it's primarily set in some sort of dystopian, maybe near future or present day where the world is almost on the verge of a zombie apocalypse. But it's not a it's not a zombie movie. It's just that, you know, people are out there running in the streets and there's rampant crime and murder and uh, drug addicts everywhere and just just a hellish kind of landscape. And Bo, played by Joaquin Phoenix again, uh, at the start of the movie, he's in I think it's New York. I don't know if they ever specify it. And he's almost killed in a variety of ways. He loses everything. His apartment is ransacked by this this crazy mob. He then gets hit by a car. He wakes up in this suburban idyllic home where uh, Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane treat him sort of like an adopted son. And there's all kinds of weird shit that happens there with their daughter who's nuts and guzzles paint. And there's all kinds of a hallucinogenic stuff. And then he goes into the woods and there's this whole tribe of a theater group, the orphans of the forest or some shit. And they put on plays and the plays are sort of about Bo's life. And this is just the beginning of how weird and strange and grotesquely self-indulgent and heavy handed and just, I thought awful Bo is afraid is, um, there are moments where you're amazed because Ariester is an incredible filmmaker and the staging and the production values are incredible. But to me, it's, it's tedious. It's this whole Oedipal odyssey, if you will, uh, that goes on and on. It's all about his mommy issues. Uh, Patty Lapone, who's a great, great, great stage actress plays, uh, Bo's mother, and I've rarely seen somebody chew up the scenery. She chews the scenery so much. They should have put a napkin under her chin. I mean, it's just terrible. And Joaquin Phoenix was a great actor, but this is one of those things where he's like given the opportunity to go way, way, way over the top. And it's sort of like, uh, you know, the worst of a great actor. 
the symbolism. There's a lot of really odd scenes. There's a giant penis monster at one point. That's right. I said it. A penis monster. There's uh, strange deaths. Uh, a lot of very trippy stuff because he's on drugs and we don't know if what we're seeing is real or if it's a figment of his imagination. And I remember many, many years ago, my late partner, the great Roger Ebert, would say that, you know, it takes really, really talented people to make a truly terrible movie. I mean, a lot of mediocre talents can make a mediocre film that's not great, but was never intended to be great. It's kind of forgettable. But when you know, Michael Cimino gave us the deer hunter, then gives us heaven's gate. There's tons of examples, you know, even the great Steven Spielberg, 1941. And I know there's some people now saying, Oh, 1941, isn't that bad? Yeah, it is. It's terrible. You know, you have to have a special amount of talent. For one thing, you also get a license to make these films uh, that a lot of people wouldn't. And, and somebody looked at this, you know, film and, and the script and said, let's make it. I understand that because you had a great filmmaker. Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the social media reaction to Bo is Afraid. And uh, there was one in particular tweet that got literally millions and millions of retweets and comments. And it's, uh, it's somebody saying, somebody who saw an advanced screening saying, I'm trying to imagine being the A24 exec who read that script and went into a meeting with their bosses and said, we should make this. It's one of the biggest dumpster fires I've ever seen, entertaining on exactly zero levels, avoid at all costs. This is a career killer. And that was the line that everybody's picking up. And I, I got to say, honestly, first of all, you know, I don't think film critics would like it if people said, hey, that review of yours is a career killer. I, I, I don't think it's our place actually to say someone's career should end. And of course, it's not going to end because this is a, an extremely talented filmmaker. Look, 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 uh, there are examples of uh, directors who made films that were so bad that they didn't make another movie for a very, very long time. It, it does happen. But to say this is a career killer is is huge hyperbole. Uh, and this is another tweet that got my attention because someone uh, tweeted that they left a screening of Bo is Afraid. Now, these are advanced screenings we're talking about before the movie now, which is now in theaters. Here's what the tweeter said. Before credits started rolling, one guy in the audience stood up and yelled, I better not hear a single person fucking clap. Another dude screamed, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. A girl yelled, total piece of shit. Now, there are other people are corroborating this tweet saying, yeah, I was at that screening too. And I got to say, man, that is such bad form. The tweet is the tweet. But for someone to stand up and listen, I'm giving this movie like one star. You know, I'm in agreement that it didn't work. Other people think it's, you know, that it's this bold and original masterwork. But I've been to thousands of advanced screenings in my career. And sometimes the crowd can get pretty raucous and sometimes someone might boo or walk out. But for someone to stand up at the end of any screening and say, I better not hear a single person fucking clap. You know, it's screw you, pal. You know, that's not how this should work. If you didn't like it, that's fine. But to say you don't want to hear anybody clap, who are you to tell other people how they should feel? Or, you know, screaming out, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of that type of uh you know, immediate post-screening stuff, even if someone, you know, stood up and said, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's fine. You got your opinion. Of course, everybody's entitled to it. But to say that other people shouldn't clap because you didn't like something, I think you're kind of missing the whole point of freedom of expression there, pal. Anyway, I am telling you, I better not hear about any of you buying a ticket to Powers of Freight. No, listen, go check it out. I mean, I think... As I'm doing this podcast, it's it's like 75% of Rotten Tomatoes, like the real professional critics. A lot of them loving it. 
many like myself, it just, it, none of it worked for me. Um, but there you have it. Let's talk about a couple of other releases that are out right now, either available streaming or at the good old fashioned movie theater. I really liked Somewhere in Queens. And this is one of those smaller films, even though everybody knows and everybody loves Ray Romano and he's the director and star and co-writer. I hope this doesn't get lost in the shuffle because this is the kind of movie I've used this term before. Maybe it is a little bit, I don't want to say condescending, but I call him a mom movie. It's a movie you can see with your mom or you can see with anybody it's because it's, it's a comfort viewing. It's character driven in the story of somewhere in Queens is, is Ray Romano's in his comfort zone. He's playing a likable schlub who's been married to his high school sweetheart for more than 20 years. She's played by the great Lori Metcalf. They've got a son who's a basketball star. He's painfully shy. He works for uh, his dad, his old school tough guy father. They've got a little you know home construction business. Uh, and it's just all about uh, this guy's life and various things going on. The The son finally gets a girlfriend. She breaks up with them. He tries to convince the girl to go back with the son just so he'll feel better about himself. He quotes Rocky a lot. It's very much slice of life. There's some physical shtick, but most of the comedy's dialogue driven. Uh, it's quirky. It's funny. And it's very relatable. This happens to be an Italian family in Queens, but you'll be able to relate, I think, Almost anybody who comes from a large family, the Sunday family dinners, the back and forth rivalry between siblings, all of it there. It's called Somewhere in Queens. Really well done. So kudos to Ray Romano, who, you know, in uh, The Big Sick and in The Irishman has proved that he's, you know, he's so known from Everybody Loves Raymond, but he's a really good actor in a low key way. So check that out. Also want to mention a uh, new Netflix series called The Diplomat. And this is uh, Carrie Russell's uh, return to kind of uh, espionage, or I should say international uh, drama. Of course, she, uh, I think her career best work was in The Americans, which has been off the year now for about five years. She was great in The Americans. In this uh, particular series called The Diplomat, Carrie Russell plays Kate Weiler. She's the new U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom. She's married to Hal Weiler, who's played by Rufus Sewell, who has been an ambassador himself. And she gets this post as UN, U.S. ambassador to the United Kingdom just after a British aircraft carrier was bombed and several dozen uh, service personnel were killed. They're thinking it might be Iran. It could be Russia. And then there's all kinds of twists and turns. And I, what I love about this series, again, it's called The Diplomat. It's a dramatic series. The back and forth between Carrie Russell and Rufus Sewell is these two very smart, sophisticated, worldly people who have a very complicated marriage, but they're they're just so good together. The two of them as actors are so good together. And then you've got uh, Michael McKean, the great Michael McKean plays the uh, the American president, a fictional president, President William Rayburn. And a, a, a wide-ranging cast. It's a little bit reminiscent, actually, of the West Wing in that it takes us literally into the corridors of diplomacy and government. Most of it is set in the uh, British, the U.S. ambassadorship, uh, the embassy in Great Britain, which in real life is this incredible house that was uh, renovated. And Barbara Hutton was married to Cary Grant. They did all these renovations. You could look all that stuff up, but they replicated it you know, really well done. So a lot of camera movements as people are doing that walk and talk and we meet various foreign secretaries and, and uh, kind of double dealing super spies, really, really smart, well done eight episodes. It ends on a cliffhanger that almost guarantees there's going to be a season two, but even within the, those first eight episodes, there are some things that are resolved and a lot of stuff left uh, wanting, leaving us wanting more. 
The Diplomat on Netflix, one of the best new streaming series out there. That's going to wrap us up here for the Richard Roper Podcast. Thanks, as always, to everybody for listening, and we'll see you again soon.